Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> yes, welcome back to the other stories, volume 68, Alternate Realities, part two. This volume of the other stories is sponsored by The Knights and Podcaster. A big thank you to Jimmy and his amazing show. For the support, we'll be having a little interview with him at the tail end of today's volume opener, so listen out for that. But before then, let's welcome volume 68 of The Other Stories. My name is Luke Condor, that's K-O-N-D-O-R, and I'm here to say goodbye to the second edition of Time Travel and say hello to Alternative Realities. These Alternative Reality episodes are going to be similar, I guess, to Marvel's new What If TV show, uh, if the intros and outros uh, were voiced by uh, a big bold man floating through space. Oh, wait. If he's who are two, maybe I'm who are one. So, personally, I love when we feature stories on the show that are written and narrated by the same creator. There's something quite personal about them. So I'm really happy to say we have two episodes in this theme that are written and narrated by the same creator. Georgia Cook and Alexandra Elroy have both got stories, have provided a couple of great stories, along with audio editor Carl Hughes. He has his first story to be featured on the show, along with Amanda Ellis and Linda Helm. Other narrator regulars, we've got Josh Curran, who's back in action, Justin Fife and Jasmine Arch, and Duncan Muggleton and Carl Hughes are on editing duties. We made some updates to our web store recently, the hardcovers have landed in the office and they are absolutely gorgeous. We're shipping out the pre-orders as, as I record this, actually. Um, and there's still plenty available over on gumroad.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. Or just go to theotherstories.net forward slash best of. Um, and we've also got tote bags. So if you like to put things in other things, you can do it now with a The Other Stories branded tote bag. You can even get two tote bags. Put one tote bag inside the other and then put that tote bag back inside the other one. <laughs> We're on our Patreon this month, 
we have two brand new extra special patrons. Eowyn Kvauheim. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Eowyn has the power to see in the dark with a magic carrot. And Shara Janki. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, she has lifespan vision and can look at a person and tell them exactly the time and date of when they will die. The only caveat to her power, her kryptonite, is that the person has to be alive. Thanks very much to Erwin and Shara. You are worthy additions to our amazing army of superpowered patrons. If you'd like to join our patrons, you can go to patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver where you will get access to regular ad-free episodes one week early, along with a monthly exclusive bonus episode. You'll also get free ebook downloads of all our books that we produce, and you'll get to listen to this month's Patreon-exclusive episode, Puzzle from Peru. After receiving a mysterious parcel from her archaeologist friend, Candy is forced into leaving her safe, quiet life behind. It's written by Sarah Crockford and narrated by Alexandra Elroy. So go to patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and you can subscribe from as little as a dollar a month. That's not much at all. It's less than the price of coffee, less than the price of a bag of sugar each month and you'll help to keep the show moving. So today's episode we are going to be interviewing James Barnett, aka Jimmy Horrors of the Night's End podcast. Jimmy uh, first reached out to me, I don't, I don't know, maybe about six months ago now um, and he was a fan of the show and he told me about this show that he'd created the night's end and we listened to it and were so blown away by it that we managed to wrangle him into narrating a few episodes of the other stories so it's great to have him here for an interview well i'll say here um in keeping with the alternative realities theme uh, i'm in one reality jimmy's in another reality so we've had to communicate through an interdimensional cup and string system uh so yeah let's see how we go hey jimmy I hope you're well. I'd love to know, first off, where did your love of horror start? I believe my love of horror started when my grandmother let my sister and I watch The Evil Dead when I was far too young. (laughs) I think everybody's got a story like this. That movie scared the absolute crap out of me. Uh, The image of Linda chanting, we're gonna get you, haunted my youth for a long time. It's funny now because looking back at how scared I was versus now uh, and just the amount of Raimi humour that's in that film and now it's not scary at all though that could be my desensitised self (laughs) Can you remember the first horror fiction podcast you listened to that you really loved? I think when I first discovered podcasts I just googled horror podcasts Uh, There was a whole bunch that came up But back then, I believe the other stories had a skull in the centre of the logo with tentacles coming in from the sides. And I've always had an affinity with skulls, so of course I chose that one to listen to first. My work commute at the time was really long, and the 15 to 20 minute episodes were great. It was refreshing, really. Uh, You guys had quite a back catalogue back then, so I just went through that whole lot uh, and loved it. It was a bit of a break from the super long audio books that I was listening to. And what was the moment you realised that you wanted to make your own? Well, COVID came along and I was lucky enough to be able to work from home in the role that I was in at the time. I didn't have that long commute time anymore, so I was saving myself, I think, two hours or two and a half hours a day. 
I just completed a social media unit at uni and one of the assessments was to create an episode of a podcast. It wasn't a fiction one, but it introduced me to audio editing. And it was after that I was like, surely I can create my own fiction podcast. At the time I said, ah, it can't be that hard. Yeah, I was dead wrong about that. I love telling stories and this seemed like the perfect medium to do it. Is the Night Send podcast open to submission from writers, voice actors, or otherwise? We don't have any submissions open at the moment, but I've just wrapped up season two. Submissions for our Halloween special that I'm planning have just closed, but I will be opening up season three submissions soon, probably in a month or two. With the Night's End being a hybrid of audio drama and narration, I love having fresh voices. That way I can introduce new characters and and also use a voice that might be more suitable for the story and just add an extra depth to the stories. And what would be the best episode to start with for new listeners? I suppose there's not really a best episode to start with, uh, but in season one there's not too much of an ongoing narrative in the intro audio drama parts, so you could probably listen to any of them. Uh, In season two, episode two, I really invested a lot more time into an ongoing narrative with characters in the audio drama. So it'd definitely be beneficial for listeners to at least listen to season two in order. But I do recommend just starting at season one, episode one. That way you sort of get to know Jimmy a bit more and, and the sort of character that he is. Though because I narrated the whole first season... Uh, If you get sick of my voice, then yeah, potentially go to season two. And uh, that's when I introduced a whole bunch more narrators. Okay, but who is James Barnett and who is Jimmy Horrors? And also, who would win in a fight off? Who is James Barnett? Well, I'm a transport manager. I live in a rural town in Victoria, Australia. I'm an avid lover of all things horror, whether it be film or literature. I live with my wife and two fur babies. In my spare time, I'm trying to have a go at being a writer. Though it seems that podcasting is taking up all my time at the moment. But I love that as well. Jimmy Horrors, on the other hand, well, is somewhat of a gatekeeper of a cavernous underworld that houses an immeasurable number of souls and stories just waiting to be told. He's quite partial to a little torturing of his prisoners, but does have a soft side and appears to be a bit lonely. Hence why he's ready to share all these stories with the listener. Who would win in a fight-off? Well, Jimmy Horrors, of course. (laughs) I don't want to give too much away, but he definitely has supernatural elements on his side. And I only have a pen at best. (laughs) Quick question, quiet and creepy or loud and bloody? I think there is a place for both, and I do enjoy both. Uh, But these days I'm more of a quiet and creepy sort of a person. That is, my preference is quiet and creepy. Not that I personally am quiet and creepy. Though, now that I think about it, I sort of am. (laughs) Okay, and Jason Voorhees or Cthulhu? Cthulhu for sure. The whole Lovecraftian genre fascinates me. But when I was younger, it was all about the slashes. I would have picked Michael Myers out of them all. I know these might be fighting words, but uh, he's definitely the best. And lastly, where can we follow you and your work? People can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jimmy Horrors. Or they can head to jamesbarnettcreative.com for more of my work. Uh, For the Night's End, head to nightsendpodcast.com or they can search for it wherever they listen to their podcasts. Thanks for having me on. Cheers.
Thanks, Jimmy. What a lovely and horrifying gentleman. Now, please stick around because after the ad break, we have a sneaky peeky episode of the Night's End podcast picked especially for you guys. Enjoy, and we'll see you at the Night's End. room. The pedestal is over there though. Worms and dirt, eh? That's probably the weirdest thing we've found yet. Oh, oh, over, over here. Is that someone over there in the shadows, friend? You, you there, can you help me? Um, how about you come a bit closer so we can ascertain your intentions, buddy? For all we know, you could be potting our end over there in the dark. No, no, it, it's not true. Who, who told you that? It, what, wasn't that damn butler, was it? He's always sticking his nose in other people's business. Well, he actually told us to look out for unsavory types in this mansion. What's that all over your hands, buddy? <laughs> Never mind my hands. Oh, I'm s- s- sorry, that's hilarious. You shouldn't trust anyone in here. We've been stuck here a long time. We? What can we help you with? I'm looking for the letterbox. Have you seen it? I have gifts to get. Hmm. We didn't see one when we were walking towards the mansion. Why don't you go out and have a look? You really don't know anything about here, do you? Oh, well, you have to learn soon enough. Anything goes in here. So many doors... So many realities. No, I have to go. I suggest you find somewhere to hide. Right. Okay, friend. I think we better grab these worms before something worse gets us. The Worm-Stained Giver by Brad Kalachava Narrated by James Barnett. The first time the mailbox did its trick was out of necessity. It was February 13th, and with all the recent excitement dominating their lives, Hal had failed to acquire a Valentine's present for his wife. His reasoning? He and his wife had finally purchased a mountain house a two-year dream of theirs to fully supplant themselves above the working class. Still, he needed something quick, and the only businesses within a 50-mile radius sold nothing but gasoline and bow-irritating sandwiches. His feet crunched as he paced in the driveway's snowy gravel of their new second home. Hal felt a whisper deep in his ear, and his eyes drifted to the mailbox. 
carved from the five-foot stump of a once-ancient elm tree with a door forged of preternatural black ore, Hal needed it open. He gripped its frost-chilled handle and pulled. The inner mailbox wasn't expansive, but Hal felt a blackness that carried on for miles in that minuscule space. A chill from the snowy cold finally caught up on him. It was followed by a smell. Beginning as a common scent, it quickly transitioned into something more menacing. Clenching his eyes shut, Hal reached into the mailbox. He felt an object and grasped. When he pulled it out, his hand held a small jewellery box. Simple, but ornate. Opening it slowly revealed a silver necklace with three small diamonds connected in the centre. Out of the mailbox came something else. A small fly, silent and dawdling, floated out of the void and fluttered towards Hal's eyes. Within seconds, its wings froze and it plummeted to the ground below, lost amidst the gravel and snow. Hal looked at the necklace again. It was perfect. His wife would love it. The mailbox had made its first offering. The second gift came almost one year later. Hal's wife was six months pregnant, and, in planning the expansion of their family, picking up a superfluous item to commemorate a pagan observance had easily slipped his mind. There were two weeks until Christmas, so Hal concluded that the window to purchase a present the old-fashioned way had closed. The mailbox was his only viable solution. His memory of February hazy, Hal still felt the light pull of its call. He made up some excuse. He needed to make sure the pipes didn't freeze or something, and left his pregnant wife to drive up to their vacation home in the middle of December. He didn't even enter the house. The pipes would have to freeze over, if need be. His car door still ajar, Hal reached his hand into the mailbox. Expecting a mild thud, followed by a reverberating pulse of pain, his hand extended deeper into the opening, gliding inconceivably according to the basic rules of space. He pressed against something soft. Hal pulled out a package, wrapped with bow and all. He tore it open, letting the scraps fall into the gravel and blow off in the wind. To hell with nature, he'd found something preternaturally more powerful. It was a sweater, ivory-coloured, silk and loose. His wife would love it. She could wear it now with her stomach puffed out and even after that little brat had made it to the other side. But one gift wasn't enough. Not this Christmas. Not any Christmas for that matter. He reached in again. There was another small box. He opened it. A thin silver bracelet was inside. Good, but still not enough. Hal's hand moved in a flurry, holding in ten presents for his wife and two for his unborn child. Hal plunged his hand into the mailbox once more. His fingers brushed against something soft. It was immobile at first. Then it writhed, like a thousand indolent worms awakening from a deliberate eternal slumber. When he pulled his hand away, it was darkened by a slight layer of dirt. Hal shut the mailbox, brushed the dirt off on his jacket, 
and stuffed his car with as much Christmas joy as the mailbox could provide. The next Christmas, Hal didn't worry about picking up a gift ahead of time. Sneaking off the day before Christmas Eve, the last day he was supposed to work before the holidays, Hal went for a drive to the mountain house and plunged his hand into the mailbox 20 times in all, 12 for his perpetually pleased wife, and another 8 for their son, whose favourite time of the year would undoubtedly turn out to be just after the winter solstice. Same as last year, Hal found his hands unreasonably grimy at the end of his gift transfer, dirt beneath his fingernails and a sheen of muck coating his skin. As he loaded the gifts into his car, a bit of curiosity kicked in. And why wouldn't it? He had set up mail folding long ago, so no hopeful mailman could reap its benefits. But his efforts to secure the mailbox had never extended to learning its secrets. Hal retrieved a flashlight from his glove compartment and shined it inside the mailbox to get a better look. With the unnatural illumination, a contrast to preternatural darkness that composed the interior of the tree, he at least expected a glimpse of the phallic appendages in their native habitat. However, there was nothing but the same old blackness. He shut off the flashlight and, to be safe, shut the mailbox. The next Christmas, his wife made it so easy. It was her decision, after all. They were going to spend Christmas by the warm fire in their mountain home. It almost felt as if Hal really did have Santa's bag of goodies. But he had something better. Hal's habit, much like all habits are prone to do, had increased in frequency the past year. Not just for holidays anymore, The mailbox at the mountain home had become his alternative for basic conflict resolution. Anytime his wife grew dissatisfied with him, Hal would leave her alone with their infant son for a few hours before returning with something nice. He always knew what to get. It was a simple process, really. Hal knew just where to grasp in the mailbox and when it was time to shut its heavy metal door. If he ever had trouble, the worms would help him lethargically guiding his hand. He had missed plenty of days at work doing this, but Hal's company was crammed with fools too oblivious to bat an eye in the direction of his tardiness, as doing so would demand effort, and they had none of it. His only real sacrifice was the one and a half hour drive each way. On the night before Christmas, Hal didn't know if even a mouse was stirring in their home. Perhaps the mailbox didn't permit it. He tiptoed out into the snow the ambient midnight winter air spicing his skin with frost. Even without light, he reached the mailbox with ease. Hal opened it and plunged his hand inside. The worms were especially excited this Christmas morning. He reached into the mailbox until he had enough gifts, and then reached in some more. Things hadn't been great lately. His wife's grievances with him were plentiful, and his son hardly knew who he was. The worms were agitated, and they began showing more resistance than ever before. Perhaps it was due to trepidation that his wife or son might stumble out into the snow under the moonlight sky and demand an explanation. Or maybe it was just simple neglect. But Hal forgot to close the mailbox door. He realised his mistake after only a few steps, but it was too late. 
letting his gifts fall into the snow. Hal charged the mailbox just as a boisterous buzz roared from its depths. Expecting a tyrant emerging from the eighth layer of hell, Hal was shocked to find a small fly floating towards him. Without hesitation, Hal shut the mailbox. Exposed to the gelid air, this fly did not wither. Instead, it landed on the centre of Hal's forehead. A sharp pain shot through Hal's skull. He spotted it away and tripped in the snow. Patting his head, Hal couldn't feel a single drop of blood. Of course there wasn't any blood. It was a fly. He was only being paranoid. The mailbox gave. It didn't take. Reverting to his surreptitious demeanour under the cover of night, Hal collected all the presents and carefully set them around the Christmas tree. Cycling through the motions of his nightly routine before sleeping, Hal met an unobstructed vision of himself in the bathroom mirror. There was a hole in his head, one centimetre wide, revealing the yellowed ivory of his skull. Hal bandaged it as well as he could and returned to sleep. He was tired, after all, and tomorrow was everybody's favourite day of the year. Six months was a long time. The two seasons that had passed were enough to see Hal's head wound heal into a bright red scar. Hal's wife had never asked about the bandage on his forehead or the crimson blemish that persisted in its absence. A few nice gifts had directed her concerned stares elsewhere. In fact, since Christmas, Hal had reached into the mailbox when confronted with even the slightest issue. Upset wife? Reach in and give her something nice. Kid with the sniffles? Reach in for some medicine. Didn't get pills? At least he still had a new toy. Regardless, the mailbox's pull had grown ever weaker. By this point, Hal was driving to the mountain house out of pure addiction. Each day, there had been a new excuse for him to reach his hand into the mailbox and extract a present, wrapped all plump and nice. But now, as he felt for another gift, Hal felt nothing. Six months sure was a long time, and the damn thing had run dry. There was nothing but worms now, and even they felt dry and stunted. Having given up on his final attempt, Hal returned inside. There was a piece of paper taped to the door. Hal, I'm taking a risk leaving this here for you. I fear more than anything that you won't drive up here in time to read this letter, leaving me at home with you, living in fear that I will eventually have to say out loud what I want to say to you. Either way, I know that you will soon be at our second home, where you seem to prefer to spend your life. Your first life, maybe. We are second to something for you, and I don't think I'll ever figure out what that is. I've considered all possibilities. If it is another woman, drugs, or even pure boredom. But I feel deep down there is no answer for this. And your hands. Your hands, Hal. Why are they so dirty all the time? What in God's name are you doing out in the mountains? I don't want to know. I've wondered. I really have. There is no solution that I want associated with the father of my child. Our son, Hal. He doesn't even know who you are. Last week when you came home and he was still awake, do you know what he said? He told me, Mummy, there goes that man again. 
He doesn't even think you're his father. You're just a man who comes by with gifts. I don't know what that house has done to you, but I can't stand it. I knew something was wrong when we first drove up there. I knew that you wanted it, that you needed to be there. I was so uncomfortable the first time we were there, like there was something calling to me. I remember my grandma talking about mountain fever that old prospectors used to get. She even made up stories about men she knew with it. That's the sort of thing you say when you see a whole century. Only, she wasn't crazy. I don't doubt that you've caught the mountain fever yourself. But I let you get it. I let you buy that house, even though I felt something drawing us both in. I looked the other way in your absence, all this time. A nice gesture here and there made it okay, but it's not okay anymore. Here is what I want you to do, Hal. It is one very simple thing. Stay there. Stay at the mountain house. It's yours now. Actually, I need to ask two things of you. Stay at that house and never return here again. Our son doesn't need an absentee father. Parenting is an act of perpetual sacrifice and your sacrifices lie elsewhere. I wish it could be any other way, but this is long overdue. With love, even now. How tall the letter from its spot to the door, letting it float onto the snow below. He knew things had gotten bad, but not that bad. She was just overreacting, like she always did. This was nothing a simple gift couldn't fix. He charged to the mailbox, swung it open, and crammed his arm down to his elbow. The worms writhed in discomfort, slipping around the skin of his forearm eerily. Hal gripped one and pulled, but its wayward motions intensified and it slipped away. Another worm struck him hard on the palms of his hand, and several others tightened against his grip. Hal countered with as much resistance as possible to escape their hold. His arm escaped in a jerking motion, and he stumbled backward, rolling in the snow. The mailbox remained open. As Hal rushed to shut it, an insect floated out from its depths. This was much larger than either fly that had emerged in the past. Mosquito-like and fleshy. It was bigger than a swollen fist. Hal reverted and ran, but the insect creature moved fast. Hal covered his face in anticipation. The creature landed on his calf and a soft pain rushed through his body. Hal attempted to swat the insect away, but when he turned around, he found it off his leg and floating back towards the mailbox. After the insect re-entered the mailbox, the door flipped shut. On Hal's leg, on the spot where the creature had landed, there was nothing. Simply a hole through his flesh leading to exposed bone. He felt the cold wind tingle the backside of his femur playfully. Hal limped inside, found a bottle of whiskey under the cabinet, and drained its contents into the hole in his leg. The tingling eased, but soon returned. He would need to find something that could help him soon. Thankfully, he was a man with unlimited resources. He could fix this. He could fix anything. The worm-stained giver waddled back outside, preparing to draw his next gift. 
been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. The Wormstain Giver was written by Brad Kalachava. More of Brad's writing has appeared in Ophelian and Bewildering Stories. This episode was narrated by James Barnett, who also produced, edited, and performed Jimmy Horace. The Stuttering Man was performed by Mike Ricard from the Stories of Strangeness podcast, where Mike and Zoe delve headlong into the world of the weird and bring you tales of hauntings, cryptids, aliens, conspiracies, myths, folklore, and more. Just search Stories of Strangeness wherever you get your podcasts or head to storiesofstrangeness.com. Here at The Night's End, we want to thank you for supporting us by listening. To show your further support, why not shout The Night's End to coffee? Head over to www.co-fi.com forward slash Night's End Podcast to donate a one-off amount. Or sign up to our Patreon for access to bonus monthly episodes and unique merch. Links are in the description. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. Stay horrific, everyone.